house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Healing is hard. Try healing. You can break something in two seconds, but it can take forever to fix it. Sounds like you have a pretty tough job. I think that fate brought us together. For what? I don't know. Revenge, maybe? You think that you can hide up here behind these gates and that everything is going to be all right? The world doesn't need your feelings. It needs jobs. It needs money. It needs what I do. The world doesn't need you. Doug is a great philanthropist. Shut up, Gus. Hi, Chihuahua. Okay, you're, you're done. <laughs> Sorry. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast recorded from a sailboat lodged in a tree. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we're here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here as always with the man who killed my goat, Joe Reed. You cannot prove anything, first of all. Second of all... You bring up the sailboat lodged in the tree from uh, Mud, which was our last episode. And it struck me during this episode that, like, there's a world in which Mud and Beatrice, like, cross paths in some way. She's in her mango grove, and he's in his, you know, little creek, whatever river what was the body of water he was in it was so long ago. i feel like the next place that he goes he works in the same like holistic center as she does and he's like the hot new masseuse sure yes that makes sense that makes a ton of sense that would work and i think they would get along is the other thing that i think more Me? than not i feel like <laughs> i feel like the things that she uh, despises about the people that we see in this movie are not mud Mud is a different kind of scoundrel, let's say. Sure, sure. This is me connecting the dots from our previous episode, which we recorded over a month ago, to our current episode, which we are recording tonight. We are trying to grease the wheels. We are trying to uh, get back in the swing of things. To help us do that, though, we have a special guest. Jorge Molina's back! Yay! Hi, guys. I am crashing your dinner it's, with my mom. It's almost as if we like picked you up in Toronto and we're exactly. like, mm-hmm. get in, bitch, we're going shopping. Get in, yeah. And, and it's almost like I had, when you asked me, do you have a movie, in less than three seconds, I <laughs> I said, yes, I do. So, did curious you, that you ask. Did you mention it on air the last time we recorded that you would No, 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 no. I've just been, I've been, sim- it's been simmering. Sure, um, yes. Um, I, I, you know, uh, uh, that's what I think about a lot. Like, if I were to talk about something else in, th- in this podcast, what, what would it be? Well, and, um, and it's time. We haven't done very many Salma Hayek episodes, which is surprising. You, <laughs> I sure mean, we, she was one of our inaugural uh, actresses with Ask the Dust, which was episode, yes. like, three. Three or yes. four. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, well, and I know she's a patron saint of the podcast, and she's she a patron saint of my household. So, you know, it. the few opportunities that we 
that there are to talk about any Oscar boss that any pictures of her have, I will jump on. Them. I really should um, have a Salma Hayek cal- candle to have in my uh, in my apartment somewhere just yeah, to yeah. get the energy uh, right. I I do not have a candle. I do, and I think I did mention this on air last time. I do have a picture of the uh, 2002 Best Actress nominees. Uh, Is right it from the Oscar my... luncheon? Yeah, yeah. I'll show. I oh mean, my god, fantastic! This, this, is a, this is a visual medium, but I do have. Oh, I love that so picture. much. Yeah, it's for the, the for winner the gets to at actually home, sit yeah. in the chair. It's, right. It look. It looks like a waiting uh, room chair from a dentist. <laughs> um, you know, and they're all. They're all about to go to a board meeting to pitch, like, what the grant money should be used right, for. Right, right, yes. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. T- uh, and I love it so much, oh so, God. you know. Uh, I always misremember... It takes me, like, half a second to realize it, but I always misremember Meryl as being part of that particular lineup. Well, she was, just not in that category. Just spiritually, yeah. she was in that yeah. category. Yeah. In yeah. my mind, I'm thinking based off of what their roles are, what they are pitching in this board meeting to yeah. be using <laughs> the grant funds for. <laughs> Obviously, Renee Zellweger says that the grant should be used to fund uh, new careers for ex-convicts. Of course, um, of course. <laughs> Julianne Moore is funding um, anti-racist literature uh, uh-huh. within the community. <laughs> but also wants to, like, start a garden, like a community garden of some An sort. An anti-racist yeah. garden. An anti-racist yeah. community garden. Sal- yeah. Salma yes. wants, like, rehab through painting. Right. Yes. Rehab center through yep. painting. Right. Uh, right. Art therapy. Right. Art therapy. Art Correct. therapy. Yeah. Diane Lane um, wants a different kind of art therapy that... Uh, yeah. Sexual therapy, but also maybe <laughs> refunding of the MTA. And that was gonna say she wants public like transit. A public, trans- public yeah. transit. Yes. Um, <laughs> and Nicole well, Kidman is mental health services. Oh, I was gonna say ornithology no, no, or no surgery. You know, yes. no, right, no, right, no job. But also, she's um, very practical. She's like, we need pens and paper. We need state. Like we need yeah, supplies. Yeah. Oh, and, and I was thinking. I was thinking all five of them are pitching together, not like individually. Oh no, it's Shark Tank. Like, oh, no, it's okay. it's, yeah. it's Shark Tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Shark Tank. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I love that. They sh- every nominee should pitch. Wait, like, that that should be it. <laughs> ABC for all the fuckery that ABC's tried to pull with the Oscars, you would think that yeah. they would have thought of making each acting category, each category actually, because the ones you really need to judge yeah. up are not the acting categories. Turn mm-hmm. them all into Shark Tank. They all walk on yeah. stage and they all have to pitch. And, well, and now that Gwyneth is part of Shark Tank, like have her. Wait, what? Uh, yeah, she's joining Shark Tank, babe. <gasps> <laughs> Damn, As like an now adjunct, I have to watch right? Shark Tank. Yeah, I don't know if it will be like a one episode thing or if she's committing to the bit. But yeah, she's joining. Committing okay. to the bit is honestly <laughs> one of Gwyneth's. Like, if you put out pulled out her resume, like special skills, like committing to the mm. bit really is like at the yeah, top. Really, is. it really mm-hmm. is. God bless. Yeah. All right, we're not talking about Gwyneth though. We were talking about, as I was going to say, the amazing yeah. Salma Hayek. Salma Hayek, yeah. who, be- besides Ask the Dusk, the movie that everybody definitely remembers, uh, that we did way the hell back saw. in 2018, and is then, that when we started the Colin Farrell bet? By the way, I don't think it's that old, but listeners, go back to the yeah. I was going to say. This is why, once again, we need an intern to, like, sift through all of our episodes and, like, catalog them or something. But I was going to say, the only other episode that we've done with uh, featuring a Salma Hayek movie is our episode on 54, which 
you could not find two more opposite poles of the Salma Hayek experience than yeah. her role in 54 and her role in Beatrice at dinner. I think I dreamed that you guys had done Savages, but you haven't. We've done just Savages, talked so. about it Joe a lot. just loves uh, because uh, I okay, love it okay. so much. I, so yeah. I think making the Oscar buzz case for Savages would be tough, even though it is from a two-time Best Director winner in yeah. Oliver Stone. Do it you will... think... Which one, which one came first? Savages? Be- Savages came before Savages. Do you think mm-hmm. she kept the wig from Savages and just... Pulled it just out pulled of the it trunk back. and just pulled it back <laughs> and didn't even the like you the know same. the bangs are the same. So she's like, ah, I have something that I took. <laughs> One of my favorite shots in this movie, and we'll talk about the sort of like soft D glam of Salma Hayek in this movie, which I think is yeah, like an okay. interesting topic. Um, when when it's decided that she's going to stay for dinner, and then Connie Britton's character makes that like fantastically like passive aggressive microaggression of just like do you want to change into something else we can get you something yeah. or, or, like blouse, or not or yeah. stay where you are um she a blouse which she's already blouse, wearing yeah goddamn right blouse. and beatrice like walks in front of a mirror and looks at herself mm-hmm. and like makes the decision to tuck her shirt in which mm-hmm. makes her look even dumpier yeah no like yeah uh-huh. you know what i yeah. mean and it's just yeah. and it's it's a perfect because it's a, yeah. it's a great touch. It's I mean it's it this movie's filled with like little moments of her just like little moments. Exactly. Doing you know moments that only she can see. And I mean spoiler but like I love this movie. I loved this movie love when this I first movie. saw it. I love this movie. My appreciation yep. for it has only grown. I went I wrote about it like kind of several times when I was at my previous job because I it, like it was a it was on available on streaming fairly early because it was an early year release and and whatnot and i just found more and more reasons to write about it i wrote about it on its own merits i wrote about it in like crosstalk with uh brad status in sort of this like mike white uh, piece that i did mm-hmm. and just i was very very taken with it also like if you go back and read it it's like tell me that trump just got elected and traumatized me without telling me that oh yeah trump had just got i elected mean i think me. I'm sure we'll get into it, trademark yeah. of you. Yeah. But um yeah, this is very like Trump era movie. Uh like yes. movies the need to talk about the moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like it's like right after the year. So it's it's which I don't think I mean again, I think in the moment it's it's probably higher than like a little bit of retrospect and it's like I think a lot of it was projected more than well, he was definitely. I, I, I think a lot of the themes are much go beyond that. I guess right than than just. Well, Mike White started know. writing it before Trump was elected. Yeah. I I yeah. read somewhere that his inspiration for, at the very least, the John Lithgow character was the Cecil the Lion thing. That whole yes, I, yeah. I remember reading that too. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think this movie's had the epitome of like let's project our feelings on Trumpism into every piece of media yeah. we are watching that kind of prevailed yes. those couple of years yes. after his mm-hmm. election. Um, and this was kind of like, yeah. I mean, I also love this movie. I watched this movie three times in theaters. Um, Damn. Yeah. You, uh, you be- win. You've, yeah, I watched it here and twice, and then because it wasn't released in Mexico until like December of that year. Yeah. So when I was home for the holidays, I took my parents to watch it. Oh, um, fantastic. And yeah, it's also like, 80 minutes. So I was going to say, it's, it's very yeah, quick. It's, it's a very yeah. quick watch, and it gets to the point, and it's 
it's cringe humor, but in a way that like I find it's very kind of not breezy exactly actually, but like the it's it's not this like heavy lift of an emotional intellectual mm-hmm. kind of a thing where it's just like, oh, I really gotta like, you know, put my discourse hat on or whatever. It's just it's a lot so much of the humor is in yeah. as a lot of Mike White stuff. Uh, and, and, it, and Miguel Arteta too, I would say, is small reactions and giving the actors sort of room to say a line in a particularly like perfect way. And I don't think it asks much of the viewer. Also, right. I think mm-hmm. it's it's broad enough, and definitely it's not a subtle movie. I will like it with its themes, you know, and like what it tries to say. Sure, right. So I think it's just. Um, I think subtle, the subtlety and nuance comes from other places, like the performances and like mm-hmm. yes. um, a lot of it. Um, that you, it's it's kind of like spelled out for you in a way that you can just like sit and simmer in the cringe and just let it right wash over you. Well, but, I mean, even the thing about like it's not a subtle movie. I mean, I think you kind of compare it to a movie that did much better than this did from the same year that is also not subtle, but I think doesn't succeed. I know what you're going to say. With some of these themes is three billboards. Like three Mm -hmm. billboards tends to be a hammer with some of this stuff. And three billboards has lines like this movie does that. Like it just is kind of a cudgel where 100% Beatrice saying, try healing something that's harder. What is not, as much of a like it packs a punch but it's not like they yeah. don't they're not heavy handed with oh it of course not i guess like allows yeah, this it, movie to stand up I and think. and i think a lot of it is that like the i think it knows the characters are archetypes and it just yeah. like like it knows that oh this is just stand-ins from for everything is it's it's almost like fable like i mean there is like a lot of imagery that you know, especially the cuts with the river and all of that, that it makes it seem like, oh, this is this is more a story being told than yes. like a, a, a straightforward like narrative, you know? Mm-hmm. It's well it's funny because I think the movie doesn't ever approach the idea of like a magical person of color who has come here to like teach people things. And yet there is something about the Beatrice character that is and I think it's about the movie as a whole and the way it dips into like flashbacks and, and at the end, like what is exactly happening at the end. And there's a little bit of, if not magical realism to it, but like if you told me that like the person she was calling on the phone was never there, like mm-hmm. that would make, mm-hmm. a, that would make sense to me yeah. because it's a sense. Well, she's like literally like calling into this memory that she can't seem to access. Mm-hmm. Well, now that you say about like the the magical person of color, it this movie kind of says that like, she actually can't fix everything. Like right. at the end of the right. of the day, she gives up. She's like, "Fuck, I can't do it. Right. Like it's too much." Right. Um, I would even add to that, like some of the criticisms I've seen towards the way that Beatrice is characterized in terms of like the like spiritualism, healing stuff. I do think some of the cringe humor comes from there. I don't necessarily I think the movie thinks that she is a little hippy dippy, even oh, though it and, is on and, her side. And that's one know? of the best things about the movie, also, is that right. it allows her to be that while not like devaluing her as a person for of it. Of course. Well, and a lot of it, like I, I can see because I was thinking this, I'm like 
what does this look like, or what this would look like in a page, and what Salma is actually doing with it, Mm -hmm. and you're right, if you took someone with, like, less, that didn't take this character, like, as maybe introspective or or internal, and did go with, like, the hippy-dippy kind of thing, with the exact same dialogue, it's a completely, you know, different um, character. Mm -hmm. Well, and you can sort of, the movie doesn't shy away from playing on the sort of uh, man who came to dinner of it all, right? Where, like, there is somebody at dinner here who is an unexpected guest and she's not like anybody else and, and is sort of the wellspring of a lot of chaos around it. And, you like, there are a couple moments where, like, for as much as they all play despicable characters, like, she'll be, like, three minutes deep into a story about an octopus when she was a kid or whatever. And like, there'll be a reaction shot to like Jay Duplass sort of looking at Chloe Sevigny and being like, like, like Mm -hmm. this is still going, huh? And it's, it's really funny. And I think that's one of the like Mike White, Miguel Arteta strengths. I, I I didn't remember like how funny this movie is at the moment and like how much it is on just one liners from the other people. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a really good good movie guys. It's a, it's a good movie. Good movie. Um, let's, since we're kind of getting into the movie a little bit, let's set the stage for the 60-second plot description. Once again, oh listeners, boy. we are here talking about Beatriz at Dinner, directed by Miguel Arteta, written by Mike White. We will get into their partnership, um, starring Salma Hayek, John Lithgow, uh, Connie Britton, Chloe Sevigny, Amy Landecker, Jay Dupless, uh, Transparent Reunion. Did you call uh, him Jay Dupless? That's very funny. What? Jay Dupless, that's his name. It's Duplass, right? It's Duplass. Duplass Dupless. I am from the Midwest. <laughs> I pronounce things. Sorry, strange. you're about to get to the most important category. Oh, yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. Okay. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure if this performer gets the and credit, but am John Early. Should yes. get the end credit. Star making performance. Where was Quite John funny. Early in his career at that point? Had Search Party started by then? Maybe? Uh, I think so because it it took a while between the early seasons and the HBO Max season. So yeah. Um, let me just check that. I can Google. Yeah, because I remember um, I had seen John Early at like a comedy show. Around maybe like twenty. Yeah, gener- uh, Search Party started twenty sixteen. So oh, like okay. The year so before. yeah, the year before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had seen him at a comedy show in like twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, maybe something like that. And he had done that. His one of his like recurring bits, I guess, was this. He would talk about how he had created a fan page for Tony Collette when he was younger. Yes, and it's the. It was the funniest goddamn thing. Yeah, and, and it was one of those from things where it's like too, not from, from clock watchers, yeah. <laughs> from yes. clock watchers. Yeah, which was yeah, is perfect. Um, no, but yeah. I remember because he said that on Seth Meyers, mm. um, and then he did like a pre- a very small press tour for when this movie was being released. Yeah, and he also went to Seth Meyers, and he the bit that they did was a like he was a like a star the star of the movie and they would just show clips from the movie and it's just him like putting putting a halibut in front of like connie britain and you know they would just like make it's good and they scrapped it from youtube you can't find no, that interview anymore uh, so because i went to i went to it all the time 
Um, oh, that's too bad. Because uh, he talks about, like, working with Salmon, like, how right. she told him he he had a great ass and all of that. It's it's, <laughs> it's a great piece of, of media, um, which they scrapped from the internet. Uh, I was trying to that. find the little, like, connections between actors in this, right? Because obviously Connie Britton goes on from this and is in The White Lotus, which is another Mike mm-hmm. White production. Um, Chloe, or, uh, Amy Landecker and J. Duplass played siblings on Transparent, which was yeah. still a going uh, concern at that point in, mm-hmm. in 2017. Um, they were both great on that show. They were yeah. both great oh, yeah. on that show. Like, the, the tragedy about Transparent is like, <laughs> So many people were so good on that show. Mm-hmm. And for oh, as yeah. like extra as it could be or whatever, it was often really, really, really good mm-hmm. and moving. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, ah, oh, it's such a I don't know. Bummer seems like the wrong uh, you know, tone to set to uh, say that, but like a, a stage musical is soon coming coming to LA from the creators. Is that true? Oh, that's it interesting. Is. It is. Um and then uh, Clo- but Beatrice at Dinner premiered at the Sunday <laughs> Oh sorry, Festival. sorry. Sorry. That's right. We were in the, we were in the middle of this. We just we were derailing your spiel, Chris. As you well, were I will say to my defense, this, this is the the literal only chance we'll get to talk about John Early. So yes, that's, might as yes, well. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> true, true. Um, and then the film opened limited uh, June 9th of two thousand seventeen. Jorge, as our guest, you are charged with giving the sixty second plot description. Are you ready to do so? I have it. I practiced it earlier. It was a few seconds over, but, you know, we'll do we'll do our best. Okay, then your 60-second okay. plot description of Beatrice at Dinner starts now. Salma Hayek had a goat, E-I-E-I-L. <laughs> uh, she also plays Beatrice, a health therapist who believes her mission in life is to help heal all the pain in the world, which she does by listening to the problems of rich white people. As she's giving a massage to Kathy, played by Connie Britton in the best pantene spawn con ever, she says that she's been feeling depressed because her, she believes her neighbor killed her goat. When Beatrice's car leaves her stranded, Kathy invites her to stay over for the dinner they are throwing for Doug Strutt, a real estate magnate who is definitely not a stand-in for Trump. Beatrice tries her best to fit in this with... To fit in seconds. with this group, but the evening is filled with vapid and degrading conversation. The dinner devolves into a production of Agatha Christie's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, <laughs> as Beatrice starts to suspect that Doc may be responsible for developing the hotel that displays her entire town in Mexico. After throwing Doc's phone at him in a move straight out of Real House of Newport Beach, Beatrice is made to leave, but not before she gets to live her Ten fatal seconds. attraction fantasy and imagine stabbing Doc. As she has been driving home, she realizes that the world she has been trying so hard to heal may be beyond saving, and she steps out of the car, pulls a Virginia Woolf, and walks into the sea, hoping to Going back to her hometown in Mexico, back to a time where things were simple and there were no troubles. I've been there, girl. <laughs> and that's fine. Very good. The Pantene commercial point is well taken, Jorge. <laughs> yeah. Her hair, wow. I mean, Connie Britton's hair throughout the years has really been... She better ensure it. ...a marvel and a wonder. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think her career has been that... Get that a uh, gag in, in the scary movies where the hair where the hat keeps growing, but it's just her <laughs> hair. It's just she. It keeps gaining volume. Um, I think a lot of people were surprised by how good she was on the White Lotus, and all of those people no, who were it was here it could, was all here. could not have possibly seen Beatrice at dinner because if oh, they no. had, they would not have been surprised because it is. Oh yeah, well, training wheels. It's yep. this. This movie is. A sequel to Enlightened and a prequel to White Lotus. I think that's right. It's like it's like the midpoint of those two. Yeah. Um almost like I think the final shot of this movie is almost entirely the same as 
the final shot of the pilot of Enlightened with the yes. water. Yeah. And the, it's like, it's so... Well, and Enlightened is similar to Beatrice in that in Beatrice, she is trying to find a way to, in her own little, you know, corner, find a way to heal as much of the world as she can. And... And sort of finds herself frustrated that the world isn't, you know, she can't grab onto it as much. She can't, mm-hmm. she can't affect as much change as she wants to. And that's the plot of Enlightened too. except the plot of Enlightened is also, and in, in Beatrice, she finds herself thwarted by other people. And in Enlightened, she, Laura Dern finds herself thwarted by herself more than anything else. And... Yeah. It's a really, really interesting through line to take it through. And then you take it to the White Lotus then, and it's like, oh, right. Like, this is now has metastasized into this, like, beautiful, gorgeous vacation setting where everybody is very kind of passively selfish and horrible. Like, there's very, very little in the White Lotus, like, active villainy. And yet, you know, you're sort of swimming in it. At the same time. Oh, yeah. Unless you're Jake Lacey. Right, unless you're Jake Lacey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Jake Lacey, John Lithgow, Mike White villains. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The White Lotus, only on HBO, October 30th. I was going to say, season two coming soon. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited, too. I'm I'm still hesitant what I think about the return of Jennifer Coolidge. Me too. Um, I wish she was playing a different character. Me too. Like, I wish it would she be was fun if she character. was, if they're going to make it an anthology If show. it was like Ryan Murphy's side. Yeah, yes. And like that's, mm-hmm. you know. Although the one, the one I think I would accept is if she gets Drew Barrymore and she's the victim of uh-huh. the, of season two. Uh-huh. Um, you just want everything to be a murder mystery though, Jorge. Of course I do. <laughs> I mean, did you, did you listen to my uh, description of the movie? Uh, it's, um, yeah, that's the one thing. If, if she was like this publicized about like, oh, she's returning mm-hmm. and she's the, mystery which i don't think that season one needed but uh, well they kind of foolishly tried to keep it under wraps sort of when she was joining the second season yeah yeah so long um, as we see tom hollander eating ass this season (laughs) yeah that needs to be the through line that's the through line that someone or you know or aubrey plaza you know why not you know shake it up however you want to yeah it's um (laughs) Okay, before we get into the Mike White thing, I do have to say that I have done the most essential Mike White research in that I have watched the Mike White Survivor season in the past week. Mike White, who is an excellent player for most of the game until he takes his foot off the gas and... He still should have won. How? Of that final three... Of that final three, I came... I was very well, frustrated with Mike through yes. much of that season. I thought he had was playing it too passively, and I was I wanted him to do more. And then by the time we got to the end, I'm like, oh wait, no, he sold me. He's actually played the best game of anybody. And by then, yeah. it was like, well, no, they're not voting for him. And I was but just, they're also not going to vote for a millionaire. No, you know? no. But he and did. Angelina, God love her, is the Mom. messiest survivor player I have ever seen. Great Angelina's television, so fantastic. And I, like, Mike White cast Alec from that season in The White Lotus for mm-hmm. 
reasons. We all have eyeballs. We can see why he cast Alec <laughs> in the White Lotus. And yet, I need him to find, create a vehicle for Angelina in some way or capacity. Oh, White Lotus season three. She would be perfect. She is the Alexandra Daddario. She's she's everything that you want. Angelina negotiating for more supplies with Jeff Probst is a short film that I would nominate for the Academy <laughs> Award. It's so good. It's so good. I, I am not a survivor gay, so I cannot uh, comment it. I know you both are. I am, however, an amazing race gay. Mike White um, ran it twice. Because my um, quarantine project, still ongoing, because there are a shitload of seasons, yes. uh, was watching Amazing Race from the start. Nice. And uh, Mike White ran it twice with his dad, and they were adorable and uh, yeah. lovely. And um, I read, yeah. I studied, not studied, I had read some articles and or, or something about uh, Mel White, Mike's, uh, Mike White's dad. When I was in college, having no idea of the connection between the two of them, that mm-hmm. Mel, Mel White was uh, came out sort of later in life. He was a speechwriter for Jerry Falwell and came out and sort of then started ministering to conservative Christians how they could like ministering a more open and tolerant sort of worldview. And you can, you know, yeah. whatever, debate the effectiveness of it but seems like a real genuine and like good guy and when mike white accepted his emmys this year he made sort of a stray mention of the fact i know that his that dad isn't doing, doing well. very well and it yeah. really really made me sad now i mean in the second time they run the race there's this moment where like you can tell mal is just trying his best to like keep up but like he's obviously physically exhausted and mike's just like dad you don't need to do this yeah. like we could I don't want this to kill you. Like right. I, we can, we'll drop out if you want. Yeah. And they, I mean, eventually don't make it as far, but, yeah. um, but it's, it's very touching. And I mean, and I do, I don't think this is unconnected to him as a writer right. because I, I mean, if we, I guess we're getting into him, but, yes. um, <laughs> but I do. And noticing, especially this, and I think it's even more evident with white Lotus, but even with, uh, earlier stuff, like, I do believe his insight, like, you can tell he's a reality, not just fan, but, like, understands the ins and out of how reality show works because of how he embeds his characters with a very particular quality of watchability Mm. and villainy that it's, like, regular, like we were saying, like, it's regular people, but he understands what makes regular people awful yes and regular people watchable yes Mm -hmm. um and i think it's because he has done he has been in this environment where like people have to act out for the cameras and create drama and it's like this very like curated uh personality and i think he definitely has taken that into his scripted writing well and i think it's fascinating his his confessionals on survivor really just kind of hit the nail on the head of who he is as a writer and as a director even though he didn't direct the movie that we're talking about and we'll talk about the partnership with miguel arteta um he he's like he has everybody's number to the point where it's like it's exactly right he conceivably doesn't like any of these people right but like also bears an enormous amount of affection for them at the same time yeah well like if you were to take a camera crew and put it in the dinner of beatrice or at the white lotus like 
you could get a three-season show, like, yeah. reality show yeah. with, with those people. You know? Well, and it's... he's very interested, I think, in the 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 self that you put forward, the self that a character uh-huh. puts forward. Again, going back to Enlightened, like, so much of... My favorite thing about Enlightened is the fact that it's a show about Amy Jellico being at frustrated war with herself where her inner monologue is gorgeous and beautiful and knows what she needs to do and knows how to express herself and is sort of like heartbreakingly articulate about all of it. And then once Amy's outside of that centered part of herself, she's a bull in a China shop, right? Like she can't help herself. She can't find a way to, um, you know, channel that, pure energy inside of her into something uh, effective. The other thing I always think about with Mike White is it's very early on what he was a writer for freaks and geeks. He had done Chuck and Buck, but one of the things that directed he directed by Miguel Arteta directed by Miguel mm-hmm. Arteta. Uh, but he also executive produced and created a s- primetime soap for Fox called Pasadena that like barely lasted a half of a season. And it was just this like, twisty primetime soap with like Dana Delaney and Balthazar Getty. It was like the first thing Alison Lohman was ever in or whatever. And it didn't last, but I've always thought about that where, because for a while, I think especially early on, Mike White was sort of pigeonholed in the same like Todd salons, but not as fucked up kind of uh, niche or whatever. Cause Chuck and Buck is awkward. The good girl is what it is, but, does have the thornierness to it, also directed by Miguel Arteta. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, but I was, I, but I've always held it in my head. It was just like, no, but he's also the kind of person who will like write a whole ass primetime soap. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. there's, it's, it's not quite as, um, if he is, you know, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Like, if he just like, holds a contempt for everybody in the way that I think a lot of people thought was his vibe for whatever. It's not that it's he's critical of all of his characters, but he also oh, yeah. I, loves, I don't think it's contempt at all. Yeah. I think it's a deep fascination right. of mm-hmm. like, um, you know, I ask the, you know, everyone that watches a reality show or like the Housewives franchise or like what I don't think anyone who is fascinated by these people have any, much contempt for him they're like right they're just like fascinating to watch and craves to understanding him and as as a as a writer i get i get he wants to like dissect kind of what makes yes those those little things tick well and as his career has gone along the humanist sort of part of him has become more and more enhanced and mm-hmm. uh the same year as uh, beatrice is uh also he it's not his directorial debut right but uh, brad status that was his second Right, Year of the Dog was his directorial. Oh, uh, right, Year of the Dog, um, um, which is also a very humane like story about characters who like can't seem to, you know, get Molly out of Molly Shannon's own grieving way. the death of her dog, right? Right. Um, yeah. But Brad Status also in 2017, which is about Ben Stiller, is a sort of middle middle age, wealthy but not as wealthy as his college friends. A guy who goes on a college, uh, you know, college tour with his son to Harvard and Tufts. And so much of the movie is about him feeling like he's got to keep up with the Joneses of his college friends. And he's very embittered by it and all. And there's a version of this movie that is, you know, 
that essentially gives Ben Stiller's character his comeuppance and really, like, sticks it to him for being a jackass. And the way that Mike White writes and directs that movie is it calls uh, Ben Stiller's character out on the carpet for all of that while still having a compassion and humanity towards him that is really, like, that's my sweet spot, right? Like, that's what, like, really, I really, really value in a film. And so, like, obviously, Mike White's really become one of my favorite sort of, you know, filmmakers and voices in this current landscape. And something I will say I love about him uh, and actually going through the filmography of also Miguel Arteta, um, they are not afraid to take a paycheck. Right. They will right. take a paycheck and that does not influence their personal, you know, more passion project. Yep. They still have a unique voice. Yep. But he will write a screenplay for the Emoji movie. He will write the <laughs> screenplay for the one and only Ivan. Yep. Uh, yep. Miguel Arteta will do the Alexander and a horrible, no good, awful extraordinarily bad day right. or whatever you know mm-hmm. yeah and i admire that well the, i would this is the thing i was going to bring up about miguel arteta because he's also done a lot of television a lot of mm-hmm. really good television too he's yeah. done some of enlightened yeah um it, but also a lot of films and in a way that it's like you can't really pin down you know him entirely based off of what the whole of his filmography is and who was it that the, somebody online recently was like who's an example of oh karina like, longworth journeyman... was was tweeting about that yeah. oh yeah yeah it was mm-hmm. karina who's like who's a journeyman director yeah that's working today and miguel arteta is a perfect example yeah. of that yes yeah. because like there are things like especially the collaborations with mike white that feel like are maybe more personal films, but then he, you know, is constantly working um, and across genre, etc. Yeah. Including uh, comedies with Like a Boss uh, starring Salma Hayek, who is like a boss. incredible She's in incredible that not very in good movie. Um, I love that movie. Uh, I, I watched it recently, like earlier this year. Um, I cannot say it's a good movie. It is not a good movie. It's not. Um, but the how I feel it would be is, like, queer boys that are, like, 11, 12 <laughs> right now, yeah. in, like, 20 years, it will be reclaimed as, like, sure. oh, an underrated <laughs> comedy classic. Sure, yes. You know how, I mean, that's how I feel, like, because it's in the conversation around, like, Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus is not a good movie. It is not. Um, But the power of nostalgia is very yeah. big. And I think Like a Boss has potential of becoming that. Here's my only... 20 years? It's not necessarily a pushback, Jorge, because you're right, but the vector through which people imprinted on Hocus Pocus was that thing was on the Disney Channel Yeah, you're, you're right. And, there, yeah. and I worry for the children today that they don't have that... Entertainment is not funneled to them in that particular way oh 100 percent. what how can they find like a boss at some point i don't know how what world you live in that like a boss is ever gonna leave paramount plus joe yeah but are the are the zoomers on paramount plus or is it just us who want to watch the good fight and survivor (laughs) they can they can call in the zoomers and let us know um but anyway salma is 
demented. No, yeah, I mean, no, that has. Sal- I mean, it's Salma, it's Rose Byrne, it's Jennifer Coolidge, it's uh, Billy Porter, it's an incredible, and sorry for the spoiler, third act cameo performance by Lisa Kudrow. Yes. It's, yes. You know, it's. It's a good time. It's not good, but it's a good time. I watched that movie in very early pandemic, and I remember, Chris, you had already seen it and recommended it to me. And so I'm watching it and texting you as I watch it. And I'm like, and at some point I'm like, oh, and I realized I was like, her nemesis is going to be someone. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I realized that too. And was, I was they like, were building it up so don't much, tell and I'm like, me who it is? Mm-hmm. But like, yeah. it, this is going to be something, and I'm like, I'm bracing myself. And it was Lisa yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, that's the plug. Yeah. If you're like sick or like, <laughs> yes, are in bed, like it's like it's also like eighty minutes. Yeah, it's exactly. Short. It's yeah, and that's fun. So. Um. There was a, a academy. Not in this, I don't think this was too early for the Academy Museum. Some sort of Academy-affiliated Q&A session that I found on YouTube today with Salma Hayek and Miguel Arteta. And it was as many Salma Hayek interviews are, especially when she's promoting something that she really values and believes in. And also, um, like, she's somebody who knows when she's promoting something for an award and, like, knows how to imbue it with everything you need to do to promote it for an award. So she was, she had the, um, not necessarily the Pan's Labyrinth uh, swell of emotion to her, but um, was very, very into it. But also, so it's her and Miguel Arteta, and she's talking about how he directed her on the set and how he would say things to her like, she would start a take and he would call cut, and then he would be like, I knew everything that was going on with your character by looking in your eyes. And and uh, don't do that. And she's like, okay. And they would do the next take. And then he would cut. And he goes, and now I can't see anything in your eyes. <laughs> so she was like, so, but this, and she's telling the story uh-huh. very like, and it's obviously there's a lot of fondness between them. But like, it's, it's, a, it's a, a very cute uh, thing. But I'm prefacing that to say that... This, and I need to see Frida again at some point, because it's been very, very many years. This is probably my favorite Salma Hayek performance. She's incredible. Yeah, she, thinks, she was yeah. on my Best Actress ballot yeah. this year. Yeah. Yeah. She's really, and I, really I fantastic. think it's, in very ways, an op- like the opposite type of performance from Frida. Um, yes. You know, I was thinking how Frida's very much a star vehicle, and this is almost like an anti-star vehicle in a way like yes. what is what is asked of her to do is to you know pull it all back all, like literally in many ways and yeah um, i'm so glad it exists because you know and I'm, we can talk about like her persona and the type of role she's been taken and it's yeah you know usually she's big and and known because and she's good at it and and it's out there and i'm i'm glad she can prove that now she can carry the weight of the world in her eyes just yes. as easily. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I men- I mentioned this before that this is sort of a a soft deglam where for so many years, especially in the early aughts, there was this trend of beautiful glamorous actresses going for awards by 
stripping all that away and we're going to do no makeup and sometimes we're going to be you know Charlize Theron and Monster where we're actually going to put on like prosthetics and you know whatever the less said about the nose prosthetic on Nicole Kidman in the hours the better but that also got like you know wrapped up in it and I'm trying to think of like other you know examples of this but there were so many of them like literally so many of them especially throughout the aughts and I was watching... I mean, Salma was lumped into that, too, for Frida, because she wore a unibrow. Yeah. Right, even though that's a crazy assertion to make, because she is, as Jorge said, such a star, and she's, yeah. like, harnessing so much of that. Like, like Frida Kahlo in that movie is just this, like, you know, br- bright-burning, you know, flame to which everybody is Yeah, she's is sexy, she's sexual, she's, you know... Yeah. But I'm trying to think of, like, more recently, like, is that still as much of a thing anymore? And I'm, I'm going through the sort of more like recent well, best actress I'm thinking, nominees. and I don't know if it's D-Glam, but I mean, I'm just thinking, like, Julianne Moore and still Alice, and it's less mm. D-Glam and more, like, everyday woman, you know? Right. More, mm. like, um... It's well, and less... I, I think we're also in a in a... Well, we are like biopic era, also. Right, that's the thing. Well, is... yeah, it's it's less de glam and more transformation, transformation yeah. right? You right. Know? Well, and also we're in a bit of a stretch where, because for a while there, it was a lot of like very young, you know, magazine cover like actresses who were getting the Oscar for doing something more unglamorous. And now we're in a stretch of like Francis McDormand twice, Olivia Coleman for the favorite, which are not glamorous characters. Like there but like Francis McDormand doesn't do D glam because she's not glam. Like that's not her brand. That's not her vibe. I guess that's what I mean more with like everyday woman drag. Yeah. You know, yeah. like mm-hmm. the both of the Francis, Jennifer Jennifer Lawrence in Silver Linings, Brie Larson in Room. It's like yep. they're yep. not de-glamming or glamming they're just right being kind of you know and even like kate blanchett in blue jasmine which is a very sort of the sweatiest performance yes but well and it's it's one of those things where it's like there's glamour to the acting style i think that she brings to that the, the whole you know blanche dubois of it all but listen that chanel suit was glamorous at one point but by the end of the movie it is not <laughs> exactly but that's that's you know that's sort of um but i i it did strike me with you know that the deglamming of salma hayek for beatrice at dinner is not ostentatious and it's not sort of drawing attention to itself yeah it's just she's this character and it's a point in the movie, like, obviously, like, that scene that I mentioned where she tucks her shirt in or whatever, and obviously when, you know, all the wealthy folk show up and what they're dressed in, and there is definitely a visual, you know, juxtaposition between her and them, and yet this movie isn't, look at, like, you would never write an article about, like, look at everything that Salma Hayek had to put herself through to yeah. put herself oh, in yeah. the shoes of this character. The whole Brendan Fraser, the whale thing. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. And I wonder if that 
hurt her chances to get nominated for this because it's not such an ostentatious transformation. It is Jorge, as you mentioned, like it's in her eyes, it's in her demeanor, it's in her, you know, the way she sort of, you know, speaks and this kind of thing. And this is a strong year. 2017, I will say, is a strong year for Best Actress. Frances McDormand wins for three billboards. Uh, Sally Hawkins is nominated for The Shape of Water, Margot Robbie for I, Tanya, Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird, Meryl Streep for The Post. The Post. I remember, I, I always remember for that picture they all took together after Francis won hugging at the... Mm-hmm. I, I remember it when... Margot Robbie crying. Francis, Francis won, and she's, about, she's gearing up for her uh, inclusion writer speech. Mm-hmm. And she's asking people to stand, and she just goes, Meryl, if you stand, everybody else will stand. Yeah. <laughs> and But you could see, like, like, and they were all sort of seated near each other, right? Because it was like Margot yeah. and, and Saoirse. And yeah, yeah. Um, it's how I remember when I take my very regular Sporkle quizzes and see how many Best Actress nominees I can remember. <laughs> it's how I remember that one is I sort of like mentally is just like, right, like there was like Sally was there and then Margot yeah. Robbie was right in front of her. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's a yeah. really strong lineup. I would definitely probably put, you know, Salma among them. I don't, I probably would take out Margot Robbie, but like, I don't hate Itania the way a lot of people seem to hate Itania, and I think she's actually quite good in that. Yeah, but I'm an I'm an Itania defender. I actually quite like that movie. A lot. I think she's very good um, in it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's tough because I, out of those, I mean, I haven't revisited Three Billboards, but uh, just knowing where things would go, I, I don't know. I'd say I'd probably kick out. Francis and put up uh, uh, Salma instead. Um, I can the, see I, that too. Even though I do like, I am also I'm soft on three billboards. Like yeah. I am, I am the uh, the weak spot in the in the in the defenses against three billboards. Uh, yeah. And I actually do think she's uh, really fantastic there. It is one of those like if we knew that Nomadland was coming, was, yeah. we could have given this one to any of the other four. Mm-hmm. And it would Sarah, be fun. Um, well, it's also. The rare um, Best Actress year where the majority of them are from Best Picture nominees. The only mm-hmm, one yeah. who isn't is Margot Robbie. Yep. Um, and I, Tanya, I think I, definitely I, shapes the race yeah. as yes. well. You know, I, Tanya, definitely could have been a Best Picture nominee with like very, yeah. very little alteration to that. Like the the wind blows a different way, and that's a Best Picture nominee. I'm trying to bring up my list of like who else was sort of floating around. In 2017, uh, in Best Actress. I may have, because I don't usually do... Um... Well, obviously, Jessica Chastain in Molly's Game, which I'm oh, only yep. being half facetious when I say that, because she's genuinely phenomenal in that movie. I have... Golden Globe nominee, I think. Judy Dench for Victoria and Abdul, I believe, was BAFTA nominated, yes. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe yeah. SAG? Um. That was, of course, the year of Phantom Thread. So you had uh, Vicky Creeps, who was not really showing up anywhere, but was great in that movie, for as much as I don't that love movie that movie. That arrived very, very late, too. But that was, like, the year of Kristen Stewart and Personal Shopper, and... Um, also uh, on my ballot. <laughs> Emma Sto- Probably my winner. Emma Stone was Globe-nominated for Battle of the Sexes. Yeah. Uh, of course, Jennifer Lawrence and Mother. That was the year of Anne Hathaway and Colossal... Um, oh. Nicole Kidman in Killing of a Sacred Deer. 
uh, Melanie Linsky and I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Florence Pugh and Lady Macbeth. Um, I had Rebecca Spence and Princess Sid on my on my list pretty high up. Great call. Daniela Vega in A Fantastic Woman. Rebecca Hall yeah. in Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. Also a great call. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a really, really tremendous, tremendous year for lead actress performances. And, you know, trying to call five from that is really tough i did i do like any year that best actress and best picture coincide as strongly as they did this year because it is very rare so you know we thank we're we're thankful for that (laughs) yeah but i i don't think she ever really stood a a chance unfortunately which is why i'm glad spirit i was gonna say which is why i'm glad she got the spirit yeah i was i was delighted that she got she got that um yeah, because it was an early movie, opened in June. It um, the didn't ever really got any traction. Um, yeah, I mean, if you think about a lot of the movies too, especially the movies that like tried to make some type of, you know, not like you're ever attempting zeitgeist, but like the zeitgeist movies were all like big statement movies, whereas this one is a much more nuanced movie. Yeah. Um. There's something about, like, Oscar is probably always going to see Mike White as caustic, even though I think that's not a word any of us on this conversation would use to describe this movie. Right. Um, Because I think the same thing that we've said about Best Actress could be said for Best Original Original Screenplay this year, too, because, like, that's very Best Picture heavy. Jordan Peele also wins. That was never not going to go to either Greta or... Jordan, you know, like that's right. the winner. Was and I would argue that, that it probably was never not going to go to Jordan yeah. Peele now that we're on the We other had side. this like, exact um, argument like three episodes ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, where but, I was like, Lady Bird was just lucky well, to yeah, get the nomination. Yeah, but whatever the other uh, nominees would like, it was always going to be there. I, I am curious, though, now with the White Lotus success, if that gives Mike White some sort of pedigree yeah. that, like, whatever next movie he does that gains some sort of traction like if he will be taken more like if it's very possible it's like leading him into the oh okay you you are actually right you can join us you know kind of thing i think the kinds of movies he makes are still often small for oscar and yet i do think it certainly you know it helps his cause in that way um plus we'll see how many seasons of white lotus he ends up doing too right exactly Um, I we sort of breezed past Chuck and Buck though, uh, and I did want to sort of revisit that because that is kind Good of movie. the, you know, uh, if not the urtext of this movie, certainly of the Miguel Arteta Mike White professional relationship. Right, that is a movie that was Sundance, right? Like that's almost certainly had to have been a Sundance since probably, yes. yeah. Um, I'm trying to bring that up because... It's also like the early digital video independent movement, too, where it's like, even though that's a great movie, it's still always going to look like shit. It looks like shit. of that era of movies that were shot on digital video. Well, and they were, you know, the filmmakers, you know, were, you know, proud that their movies looked like shit, too, because it meant that they were, you know, you know... Really? Rear and independent yeah. and that kind yeah. of thing. Um, what what's your all 
experience with when did you see Chuck and Buck? Did you see it back in 2000? Did you see it later? Do you like that movie? Do you, do you, I've always had a little bit of a distance from that movie that I feel like makes me a little less cool, but um, I think it's a good movie. I didn't respond. Like I'm not like high Hosanna's about the movie uh, the way that some people are. I think I watched it for the first time in the pandemic or like right before it, but um, yeah, it's a good movie. I mean, like, the other thing about that movie is Mike White performs in it, too. He's yes. the lead character, and Mike yeah. White is a great actor, yes. too. Yes. And, yeah. Um, yes. But yeah, we probably won't see him as a lead again. He doesn't seem to want to do it. That's one of those movies where I think 90% of other movies would have left it as a subtext what actually mm-hmm. is going on there, right? That he's in love with his, you know, uh, his childhood friend and is trying to sabotage his relationship and yada, yada, yada. And I think part of what made Chuck and Buck stand out was that it actually, you know, went to the place that the subtext was, you know, pointing towards, right? Where all of a sudden it was, you know, out there and explicitly out in the open. And... I've always had a little bit of like, because again, early Mike White, I do think is more caustic. Certainly this is maybe his most caustic movie, right? That feels like it has, if not a harshness towards its main character, a little bit of like this, like he's such a disaster, right? He's so broken and it doesn't seem like there's a path back from the brokenness. Whereas I feel like as Mike White's career has gone along, his characters feel like they have more of a path back from their brokenness, if that makes sense. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I, I, it's been a while since I've seen this movie, but the fact that the next one is the good girl, yeah, I'm not sure I like agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying but i get with what you're saying in what way good girl i mean like there is some warmth to that movie if i'm remembering it correctly and that's more of like a care it's more like look at this sad sack than it is you know yeah i've never liked the good girl is the problem i think that's the other thing is just like i've never I don't know. I never really latched onto that one for as much as it felt like. Again, that we was need to do an episode on it. God, I was that was really hardcore into my like. I'm gonna get really into indie movies era, right? <laughs> and everything was set up for me to really love that movie because it was not only Jennifer Aniston, but it was Jake Gyllenhaal who was like the it boy of the moment, and then Zoe Deschanel who I loved un- from Almost Famous. So of course, yes. And I was, and I remember watching it and being like kind of frustrated that I didn't sort of, you know, go for it as much as I did. And I don't know, maybe I'm just sort of like chalking up my own. Maybe I was the one who sort of had to grow to, you know, appreciate those kinds of movies. And maybe I can appreciate Mike White more now because I've seen so many other things. But mm-hmm. it's just I've, a fascinating I've, career. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Jorge, you were no. going to say something. Oh, I was going to say, I actually have never seen The Good Girl. Um, it 
how I think I was too young when it came out. Uh, to, to okay, but all right. <laughs> Famously <laughs> young. Uh, it would have movie. been in the O2 Best Actress Ways so so when Salma was nominated. Well, yes, yes okay. but I came a lot into a lot of it later. You know, I yes, did it yeah. as, as per my last conversation. My Oscar uh, origin story is a little bit later than that. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you you can kick me out of your house uh, for being too young. I will stab you in the neck in my head before, but uh, that's fine. Wait. Okay, let's talk about the ending I, then. Okay. Because the yes. ending is incredibly divisive it of is, this yeah. movie. And I feel like the way that it ends where you have this fantasy sequence and then like you're kind of forced to interpret what you think happens next um and i think you described it beautifully in this in your 60 second plot description how do you guys feel about the ending um i i like it i defend i it's not defend i it's not like i will fight someone for it but um but i think it's i i don't think it's meant to be interpreted literally yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's very, um, like, I think the emotion behind it of, like, her kind of giving up a little and being defeated and being, like, like, fuck, what, what, what is this, what I'm trying to do with, right. with my, um, life and, and just being pummeled by, by this encounter, being defeated. And I think her instinct is to, like, run away to the comfort she kind of knew and 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 to a place where where everything was okay um and you know that's also what the song she sang to the to the mm-hmm. people was about is as she described it as um you know remembering when 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 things were simple but also acknowledging that things aren't anymore yeah yeah so yeah so i think like i described it earlier i think it's it's almost like a fable or like a, a, a almost fairy tale-ish in that I don't think it's literal that, like, she maybe walked into the sea and, like, you know, whoever it goes. But, like, emotionally, that's kind of where she went by the end of it. Yeah. Um, well, there's that moment where Connie Britton's character says to the other guests describing uh, Beatrice and is, like, she's a she's a literal saint, right? Like, mm-hmm. she's... And I think a lot of the magical realist sort of uh, hues of this movie feel like they're pointing towards this thing where as a quote unquote saint, she's being tested, right? Like if she's a saint, if she's this like saintly person and all of a sudden now she's being confronted by the limits of the good works that she's done. And the, the, you know, the limits of it are this Lithgow guy and the fantasy of stabbing him in the neck is literally her, going back on the one thing that she said that was so impactful, which is that like, try healing something instead Mm -hmm. of killing something, killing something is easy. And obviously there's parallels to when they, he talks about like, you have to like wait and stalk out your prey and whatever. And like, there's, you know, Beatrice in the hallway, just sort of like waiting for her moment to pounce or whatever. And she sees that like, now her instinct is to, kill somebody to make things better like that she have reached she has reached the limits yeah. of healing and now you know to heal she has to kill and then you know so now it almost remember that part in uh the fellowship of the ring 
where uh, Galadriel. No, I don't. <laughs> Shut up. Um, the I passed the test, and now I'll go into the I'll, mm-hmm. I'll you know diminish and go into the West. And this feels like well, you know, Beatriz feels like she failed the test, right? Because she her instinct was to you know to kill this guy, and as a result, then she, if not literally, like walks to her death in the sea, at least yeah. sort of surrenders herself to this idea that like oh maybe maybe the 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 solution to all of this is to sort of return to that simplicity and yeah i i see what i for me i don't think she i think she definitely had the thought of killing i don't i don't think she actually carried it through and i think that makes Mm -hmm. a difference i think that I think the fact that she stopped it and that it actually didn't, even though she wanted to. Yeah. I, I don't know if I necessarily agree that she failed what the test that you're saying. I think the fact that she may have thought it, but she didn't carry it through kind of still speaks to her integrity and her, sure. And her beliefs. Yeah. Um, but I but, think it shakes her. I think it's a hundred percent. I was going to yeah. say it's, it's still a hun- like it still shows her that. It may be only for nothing, even if, yeah. you know, even as long as she wanted to. And if she stood, you know, her ground of like, I'm not gonna, even if I want to fucking murder this guy, I'm not going right. to. That right. still doesn't mean that this whole thing didn't like completely deflate her. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I just kind of feel like it ultimately forces you to grapple with like some of what the movie is saying, what some of its themes are in a way that I don't know why I was on one in my mind comparing this to three billboards so much in this watch, but like that movie that like does a lot to oversimplify a lot of these themes, you know, even if it's like, ends on this note that's supposed to be ambiguous but really it's like everything else before it has been much more simplified than i think things are and things are allowed to be uncomfortably nuanced in beatrice um i think this ending kind of allows it to be that and it also prevents this movie from feeling like it's just some chamber piece where people are talking for an hour and 15 minutes you know that there are bigger themes at play than you know what's like a staged play basically Mm -hmm. yeah um i think doing something that's a little bit more um perhaps distancing for the audience that might be actually ambiguous or be you know much more allegorical or like uh like you mentioned not to be taken literally um forces us to sit in the discomfort of you know what we've already been presented yeah right and i, and I think i mean to the, to your point of like it does it kind of avoids the staginess of it i mean even i i'm kind of surprised by how it uses you know composition and camera movements and um mm-hmm. point of view to really kind of like sorry there's a helicopter i don't can you hear it what's that can you hear a helicopter coming oh no, no, but oh, okay. it might pick up on your soul. Yeah, probably. Audio, yeah. But, but well, fine. Um, I've had it. enough sirens go by in the yeah. background so of my audio track. Grittiness. <laughs> uh, but no, nothing. also like the the direction of it is really like um, I don't know. There are a lot of like se- like shots and sequences where it's like, oh fuck, like um, uh, it does a good job of like 
visualizing a lot of what it wants to say. Yeah. Just the costuming, the way she's slouching while these women are wearing these like whatever inch high heels and are in their yes. uh, yeah. makeup and um all of those other actors too are so on point with everything. Every single time Amy Landecker says anything, it's the Amy exact Landecker's right tone. It's so funny. I yes. I forgot uh-huh. how funny she is in this movie. Well, um, and she's also that exact sort of like what's the opposite of it? like sour spot, I guess, instead of a sweet spot between um like somebody who's an overt asshole and somebody who is um trying to project this air of you know geniality right where every time there's uh some sort of like moment of tension in the air right she'll say something to diffuse it but then by the same token any time that beatrice will advance some sort of really altruistic notion she'll be there to like undercut it a little bit right yep. and she'll mm-hmm. talk about you know when beatrice is out of the room she'll be like well we're not like monsters or anything like that and she'll, yeah you know she's you know the banality of evil kind of um, <laughs> the way she, she says uh like when beatrice comes in and uh she asks if she can spend a night or connie Britton informs her like tells her you can spend a night the way amy landaker when she leaves it's like she has a goat the way she yes. she delivers <laughs> yes. that it's line that, like, it's like it's the it's that immature, like, mean girl shit, like, like high yeah. school residual kind of thing. And she does it super well. Chloe Sevigny is a little bit like a, a, a milder version of it, her character. But, like, she does it really well. Jay Duplass obviously is, like, you know, was born for this moment, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's all really, really... No, like, yeah. And I mean, and I, want, I mean, we talked play. a little bit about Connie Britton, but, like, I... Um, to compare it to, it made me think a lot about Roma in a lot of ways. This this mm-hmm. movie, um, especially her character in this way, and it's a very, I mean, Mexican sense, like Latin American kind of sensibility, but I, which I think translate very well into this um, of this sentiment of like, oh, the the help are actually our family. They are part of us, right. part of. Um, of our system, we treat them as equals, but, like, in the end, you know deep down they don't... Right. They don't give a shit about them. But this kind of, like, facade and, like, this this face that she's putting on of, like... I And I do believe she she thinks she cares, but, like, in the yes. end, she's she doesn't. It's, like, it's it's this right. level of oblivionness of, like, oh, no... When, when Beatrice says, um, you don't know me, like, you have no idea um, what it's like. Um, right. Like, you, I'm here with your family, but, like, you don't know anything about my life. I know everything about yours, uh, which I think is a lot of the themes that Roma also kind of, like, uh, explores. Yeah. And it made me think a lot about that. But, yeah, but Connie Burton is a ex- perfect example of the white woman who who likes to think of herself as, like, a, a friend and an ally, but really doesn't understand the right all the murkiness that's really um, behind. Well, and the language is so precise in everything, where... There are, like, the movie has a few moments of these sort of, like, gotcha things where you can, like, point to it and just be like, ah, there is the hypocrisy that has, like, sort of revealed itself. But a lot of it is a lot more subtle. I was thinking, like, the moment where Connie Britton's husband sort of bring, like, you know, brings Beatrice out of the room and is like, I'm calling the tow truck company, Mm -hmm. right? And how dare you do that? I can't believe. Uh, And she says, um, what's her name? Is it Kathy? 
Why would Kathy, you do that? Yeah. To, mm-hmm. Why would you do that to Kathy? She uh, she treats she, you like a friend, right? She treats you like she's uh, like you're her fucking friend, and it's like, and that is pulling the mask down, right? Exactly because it's like you're not her friend, but she treats you like it, and you yep. should be grateful that she yep. treats you like mm-hmm. a friend, even though you're yeah. not. And it's like, oh, that is, yeah. and the movie doesn't hang a lantern on that. The movie doesn't like step back and sort of be like, ha ha, he has revealed himself as, you know, as, yeah. as there's a lot more trust of the, that the audience is oh. going to get this, and that yes. all this, this some this of the saying. most fascinating moments for me was, and they're very small, they're barely, but like the way Beatrice moves and interacts with the other help in the yes. house. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the way she kind of... John Early is a little bit hostile yeah, towards her. Ha- I love when, when she interrupts John Early and then John Early yes. interrupts her back. Yes. Uh, yes. Like, yes. please. <laughs> like, I gotta take the orders. Uh, yeah. But when, when, like, she first is there just, like, waiting for everyone to arrive and she's just hanging in the kitchen and, um, yes. you know, because she doesn't know, like, where does she belong? Is she like, because she's not right. part of that. Right. Staff, is she upstairs? Like, she's is from, she downstairs? She's is she upstairs she... or downstairs? And the yeah. way she um, approaches the maid when she comes in, and obviously they speak in Spanish to each other. So, like that, those little interactions are were like fascinating yeah. to me. Uh, and they're, again, very, very small, like barely perceivable yeah. if you do, are not looking for them. Well, and then by that same token, though, the movie, which does so well with small and subtle, isn't afraid to do something if not like so big but like i'm thinking of the moment where she's been banished to the room right she goes up there the subtle part is we see her walking up to the room and she's got the bottle of wine and the glass after yeah. she's said she shouldn't drink yep um and then she looks up uh lithgow's character's information online or whatever and then the next thing it like literally cuts to her they're all out on the patio and they're looking at the stars or whatever and they're chatting their bullshit or whatever. And then all of a sudden she's there with like the uh, the smile that doesn't reach her eyes with the guitar in one hand and the wine yep. that she shouldn't yep. be drinking in the other. And she's like the Babadook where she's all of a sudden she's just like there. It's so great. Uh, yeah, it's it's good. It's yeah, good. It's, it's a good, good. good movie. It's, it's a good movie. I also want um, to shout out Lithgow in this movie, who I think is really tremendous. He's, I, I did several, yeah. uh, like, he and Salma had such good acting chemistry. Like, yes. the way they spar with each other, they're yes. like, um, like, you can say Lithgow plays it as, like, he's amused by Beatrice and, like, yes. kind of wants to engage with her and be like, okay, yeah. what do you have for me? He's obviously not confronted a lot. He's, I mean, the two other guys, if he could, they could be sucking his dick, they would. You know, right. he would, you know, right. they, right. they would. And he, and he um, kind of hates them for it, right? Like yeah, exactly. He, or yeah. like he's yeah. condescending. He's like, everyone around me is like, yes. a yes man. Well, he's performing for them yeah. too, because like all those stories that he's talking about, like the whole thing with the rhino, of course, he's performing for them about that. Yeah. Well, and all the other characters want her to stop talking immediately. And he wants to mix it up with her because yeah. I think part of him resents anybody who feels like they have a moral upper hand on him, which is mm-hmm. like a great, like a really insightful way to draw a wealthy Republican, which is just yeah. what do they hate more than anything else? It's moral righteousness, right? Because yeah. it, you know, uh, you know, whatever. Well, and you know, he never loses it with her. He even when like, right. she, she throws a phone at him. Uh, he's almost like amused. He's like, "Oh, okay." I like, uh, don't take right. it too seriously. Almost, you know, like right. we, we're we're just talking. 
Um, so yeah, I think he finds her amusing, and I think, you know... Well, and that comes from a place of arrogance, too, right? Because he knows that ultimately nothing Mm -hmm. can touch him, and that's what makes him even more infuriating, and Mm -hmm. she sees that in him, and she's so frustrated by that with him, where it's just like, there's, there's nothing she can say to him. For as much as, you know, try healing something, it's much harder. It's a devastating line, enough that, like, I wrote it down. Ultimately... He's not going to, it's not going to keep him up at night that she said that. And I think that's the sort of. He's not even going to know what she means by that. Right. That's the sad realism of the movie too, where it was just like, yeah. Oh, this, this will become a a fun party story for another dinner. You know, it's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This woman with a goat threw a phone at me. (laughs) Yeah. Can I tell you the moment that made me gasp and maybe it, it did too is one. I can't remember what preceded this. I think this was. I, it had to have been after the the um she sees the photo of the rhinoceros right that's when she gets really mad yeah. but at some point she's like building ahead of steam beatrice is and saying something it's, and i think it's connie Britton starts to say something and she just goes shut up kathy shut up and kathy. she says it so <laughs> like it's not it, she doesn't build up to it she just like mm-hmm. it's just, matter of fact was like shut up shut kathy. Up. and My- it's so My, I do. I always gasp at that part, yeah. and uh, I gasp more at Connie Britton's reaction to that, which yeah. is just like her jaw just like drops a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Connie Britton's uh, phenomenal in this movie. She's she really, so, really is. Yep. She's, she's so, so yep. good. Uh-huh. Yeah. Can I also say uh, Chloe Sevigny's character orders my. Uh, basic white girl drink of choice in this movie. Vodka which is soda with a splash of crayon. Vodka yep. soda with a splash of crayon. And I literally, I saw her do that and I was like, I hung my head. I was like, yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent character choice though, yeah. because yep. they, she and Jay Tupless, uh, who I still can't say it, his name right. Whatever. Live in your truth, uh, Chris. He's hot. It's, it, I, it, it's just hot goggles uh, on. Is why I can't you're just you're right. industry pilled um, though. So you yeah. you're. I am industry pilled. Yeah. Listen, he's got the full Cruella Deville <gasps> skunk thing going. Um, it's it's the Michelle Visage. The two of them, Please. they show up to this mansion basically hopping up and down because they're like we're about to be rich we're about to be rich but the fact that like no offense to you joe that she asks for a vodka soda with offense but it's it's appropriate it's fine the class level yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) no i get it it's fine listen i've never purported to be any classier than i am and that's my saving grace she does ask for gray goose i owed it yeah when when asked for an option she asked for gray goose so Yes, I know. Can I tell you also, I had just seen Bones and All at uh, Bones. Bones. I saw the Bones. Um, Don't spoil what role she plays, though. I won't. I'll just say that you I know did she's not in know it. She was, I did not know she was in it. Oh, uh, well, it's been making the rounds that like okay. she was. Uh, does she, play, and does Luca, she play the Bones? She plays the Bones. She plays all <laughs> the Bones. She plays all she play, the Bones. Uh, I mean, honestly, when, that's. A natural progression of Chloe Sevigny's career. Yes. Um, well, she like shows up bones. at some point, and I literally, I gasped because I was like, oh, like, because once Chloe Sevigny shows up, you know that, like, anything is now on the table, right? That, like, there is, uh, the realm of possibilities is yeah. is, uh, is wide once Chloe shows up. And yeah. uh, very, very exciting once she does. Um, yeah. Everybody's great in this movie, you guys. Everyone. Is. Everyone. Um, I'm trying to think of what else that I wrote down. Uh, I mean, yeah, we crane. went through, through 
a lot. I mean, John I Early, I just, I shut up, Kathy. Shut up, Kathy. Um, wait, I wanted to ask you guys because we yes. talked about this last time when I was here. Yes, Amy Adams. Um, but I kind of like I was wondering the same thing with Salma, and it's different because there is probably two hugely different careers. But what do you think will take her to get another Oscar nomination? Like, not Hasaguchi. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I could see it. I definitely could see it happening. She definitely is oh, in that yeah. realm of celebrities that the award, like, everybody loves and wants to sort of, you know, support, I think, in a way. Mm-hmm. And whether that has anything to do with her as a person or whether that's just sort of like there is this A list level that's like, you know, it's your Hanks's and your Julia's and your Oprah's and your all that. And like, she is among them. She is in that mm. strata, right? Your Ben Stiller's and your Tom Cruise's and all of that. And I think anybody who exists within that strata, there's always going to be uh, a chance. And it's not like they're automatic. They're not like, you know, money in the bank every time that they've got a movie coming out. But like, she will never be forgotten like that seems like a weird thing that you know what i mean like she won't ever be like whatever happened to salma hayek like that's yeah. never going to oh, happen of course though well and i think it's it's in favor that she like you said it earlier like she knows how to make a play when she knows there's uh, a yeah. chance yeah um i guess my question was more like what type of role like do you see it right. more of a of a like a quieter thing or does she, or like a, a stylized She does so much mainstream stuff that I don't think that would be the avenue for her. I mean, even though she's still incredibly successful, like, there's a whole sequel to The Hitman's Bodyguard Mm -hmm. because Because... she got the best notices for Mm -hmm. that movie. Yeah. Like, she is the reason that movie got a sequel um, that we all forgot about. What if she, like, (laughs) directed something that she also was in? I was thinking that, or I was thinking, get her a prestige miniseries yes. and get her the traction there that then mm-hmm. can escalate towards mm-hmm. um yes yeah i'm White just Lotus season three i mean th- i my uh suggestion was she should play the manager in a cancun resort or like um <laughs> something that but uh a t i think this this was announced uh a while ago but i know now that it's moving a little forward there will be a TV series adaptation of like Water for Chocolate. Ah. Um, oh. And I think she would kill as the mother. Uh she that's a role she could eat and I am just putting it out in the universe. Um um yeah. Gary's prayer circle. Gary's prayer yes. circle. Uh but yeah, I, I can see her like partnering and you know, Mike White or something like something that gives her a little more time or like Screen time, I guess. To feel the Salma Hayek like and too. Penelope Cruz in a remake of Arsenic and Old Lace in like fifteen oh years or whatever. Right? First of all, they are too young for that. That's what I said. Fifteen years you. from now, I said we're I'm yeah, just we're laying years. the groundwork okay. now because yeah. it takes well, they, a while they, I mean, to make these things happen. Obviously, they starred in the hugely uh, Oscar Beatty movie Banditas. We are now Banditas podcast. I'm surprised she's never done Almodovar. Uh, I was thinking that too. That is surprising to me. Um, yeah, because she runs in those circles. So yeah, yes. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Her. She's got such like deep ties with both Penelope Cruz and Antonio Banderas. Actually, yeah. Like that's mm-hmm. like that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. The thing about 
uh, about Salma is one of the biggest current vectors towards getting an Oscar is playing somebody, a real person, a real life person. And like, unfortunately her options for that are more limited than other people, which sucks. Um, But if you can find the right sort of avenue there. (laughs) Well, but I think that wouldn't be the avenue for her anyway, because her first Oscar nomination was doing was that, that, and it's the most iconic role of her career. Yeah. She has to do something different than that. Yeah. But I also think it's telling that that is what got her her Oscar nomination was, and it followed the very. It was it's that same thing of like she got the role, she wanted to play this role. This was something she wanted to do forever, and then yeah. she hit the campaign trail and made sure everybody knew it. Or and that's thinking, what you have to yeah. do, or something. Yeah, yeah, like a re- even if it's not a. An, cultural icon like Frida Kahlo you know right. someone like based on true uh, a real person that has right. some I'm think I don't know why this came to mind but like like a zero dark 30 you know like someone based in yes. a, like with a big a political figure with yeah. a big director and writer behind it that kind of like mm-hmm. elevate that fine I'll take it upon myself I'll write her I was gonna say Jorge, <laughs> like, we've talked about this fine. all like you're you're um, the one to do it I'll so. do that Yes. Okay. And um, I have... Have I told you my journey, my Snatch Game journey with Salma? I have, right? Yes, but our listeners don't okay. know. Oh, my. Our <laughs> listeners need to know. Our listeners need to know. Um, fine, I'll talk about it. Um, so, uh, last year, a uh, friend of your podcast and all of our friends, uh, IRL, uh, yes. Kevin O'Keefe... Friend uh, and former guest. Friend and former guest, uh, for his 30th birthday party... Uh, decided Rude. to throw uh, a snatch game uh, with, with among friends. Uh, so he asked a group of friends uh, if we want to participate. So we had to choose a character and uh, come up with costuming and 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 mannerisms and all. And we would all play snatch game one one night. So he rented a love space. Uh, he set it up as a stage. He invited other people to watch someone to host and it was about 10 people and we all played very drunken snatch game <laughs> um and my character was of course uh Salma Hayek of course uh which i decided to style uh for uh as Beatrice uh because you know i didn't want to do Frida because that would have been Frida Kahlo sure, and that course. was a different character right. and besides that i'm like what's an iconic so like it's you know, it's just like a right. tight dress and big boobs, and you know, right. it's um, yeah. So yeah, so I got a pair of mom jeans from Goodwill, and like uh, this this <laughs> this blue blouse, and like a wig <laughs> with bangs that I tied into a ponytail. Uh, and I did get big boobs because you can't hide those. Well, sure. Um, well, and also, yeah. like, you're not going to pass up the opportunity to have big boobs. Like, come of on. course not. No, no, no. And it was great. You're and, in you Snatch know, Game, did, for God's sake. Did, yeah. a, did a little unibrow um, yeah. and did uh, a Snatch Game. And it was, I watched a shit ton of hours of interviews to get her accent right. Sure. Uh, because she has a very specific accent. It's not like... I think the instinct would be to do like a Sofia Vergara type of accent, and, sure. and that's not quite it. She has sure. a more restrained. She doesn't roll her R's. She like kind of keeps right. everything in the back of her throat. It's right. you know obviously I went to school for for acting and like <laughs> I've, I've taken it. And you know, and it was it was a lot of fun. And I would I I I'd like to say that I would have made top top three if, sure, if that of was. Sure, of course. Uh, 
uh, a challenge. Um, you know, you gotta pick two to three attributes of a celebrity. I was and gonna ra- say a- and run the bit to the ground. So <laughs> I now the question that all of our uh-huh. listeners are gonna want to yeah, know is: yeah. Did you have in your arsenal a and from Canada water? Reference, of course I did. Ready to and, go. Okay. And, and I, I text them to you. Uh, it's so uh, that was a joke. But like my bits were because every interview she talks about how many animals she has. She just adopts. <laughs> Shout out animal. to uh, the owl. The that, owl uh, sits on uh, her head. She ha- she just picks up dogs from every production she's in if she sees them running around. So like she she runs. So I when I went to Goodwill, I bought every stuffed animal I could find. <laughs> <laughs> so every time the host that that the, the, the rue quote unquote rue came to me, I just had a different animal uh on on the desk. So the more the game came on, I just had piles Fantastic. and piles of adopted animals, <laughs> and I would just go on with a story about how um I had adopted them. Um, I would also say a lot how things were done in Mexico that were done different in, sure. in the U.S. So I said that of a course. lot. Uh, and yeah, and my and Canada Water. It's it was a long setup because Kevin Kevin was playing uh, makeup mogul Tati. Of course, yes. Um, so my my bit was um, I wanted her something to hydrate, so I brought her a bunch of gifts, and I brought her from Canada Water, and it was uh, a water bottle with the Canadian flag. Sure, of on course, it. yes. Uh, not a single person laughed except Kevin O'Keefe, but that's. <laughs> Every everything I wanted to to do, uh, and it was delightful. It was a demented evening. Um, I love that, but it was a lot, a lot of fun. There were a lot of great characters. In that. I was sort of, um, I was going through her, like especially early filmography, <clears throat> when you were saying you're trying to figure out like how to style her, and like, yeah, it early especially it's i'm it's just sort of i mean me. i could have done her from dusk till dawn stripped her this is the thing look, she's a vampire but, in that. She's a, yeah yeah but a I, vampire stripper mm, yes yeah but i also wanted comfort i want <laughs> i chose comfort and you know the beatrice look is is, is it was a comfy one i will whenever say. they it talk was... about quentin tarantino's foot fetish thing nobody ever remembers the fact that like he drinks champagne from like she sticks her foot in her foot in his mouth in that movie and like pours champagne down her body and like runs into his mouth. It's the most intense thing. That movie rules though from dusk till dawn. I fucking love that movie. Yeah, I gotta rewatch it. But her like nineties career, like cause she breaks through in the States in Desperado, which is nineteen ninety-five. Mm-hmm. And then like it goes very quickly from that to like from Dust Till Dawn, I think had already been probably filmed by then. Um the next two years later, she's in Fool's Rush In with Matthew Perry, which is yeah. like Salma Hayek has arrived, and how do you know we she's arrived? Is we are putting her in a romantic comedy with a star of the biggest television. Of the biggest television. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um and then fifty-four is the year after that. Also the faculty, which also rules. She only makes Robert <laughs> Rodriguez movies that rule. Um, uh, and then the thing that I always forget about is she's in Dogma as like yes, uh, she's very funny in Dogma. I will say, is she an angel? I'm trying to like look up like what is her. She's a muse. I'm a muse, stupid. I'm a muse, stupid. She's really funny in Dogma. Like she's and she's like palling around with like uh uh. Who the Chris Rock, right? Linda Fiorentino, Linda Fiorentino, right? 
and then Jay and Silent Bob, right? Like that's the whole like little like you know Scooby Gang or whatever of that movie. That's a more interesting movie. I'm the Kevin Smith apologist also of this. <laughs> Chasing Amy is my Kevin Smith movie that I will really ride for. Dogma I don't think is that great, but it's real weird and interesting. And like it's probably dated as hell, but oh, I'm, all of I'm willing to is. say that she is yeah. probably still very funny in that movie. And then same year '99 is Wild Wild West, which. Oh, would have killed a lesser career. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. because Will Smith's career was going to survive that fine. Kevin Klein, like, barely knew he was doing that movie. <laughs> and, like, the person whose career would have probably suffered for that is the, you know, the female ingenue in that. Mm-hmm. Who, like, mm-hmm. you know, usually that role is, like, in the revolving door of your, like, you know, Kate Bosworth's or whatever, uh, Claire Forlani's. And I think it speaks to the fact of her, like, power as a movie star that she was able to be like, yeah, well, nobody's going to talk about me in Wild Wild West from now on because, like, there are other weirder, (laughs) dumber things about that movie. Plus, there's a song. Um, What if at some point you saw Wild Wild West in 1999 and you were like, in 20 years, the only way people will know about this movie is gay bartenders dancing atop a bar at Flaming Saddles <laughs> to this song every uh. 10 minutes like it's 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 often um and then like obviously like Frida is only around the corner and stuff like that and then but like I just I don't know her 90s career is 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 incredibly yeah. interesting cuz it's the most mainstreamy of it like once Frida happens she really goes into a real particular vector where if she's in mainstream things she's kind of in small roles in it right and then her bigger roles are in things like ask the dust savages uh beatrice at dinner obviously and i don't know it's an incredibly interesting career it is i'm excited to see where does she have any in production right now i'm trying that's a very good question Um, please hold let's see uh, she has, well, the new Puss in Boots movie, of course. Of course. Uh, oh, of course. She iconically replaced Tandiwa Newton in the new Magic Mike. Magic Mike, which is now going to be Listen, in we got a W on this one. It is coming to theaters. Yes. yes. I, I'm obsessed with the pictures of the same scene, but just it's Tandiwa <laughs> and, and Salma wearing the exact same Carmen San Diego costume. Um, I am so excited for it. Uh, I love Tandiwa. I'm so uh, sad that she decided to to leave, but I'll take Salma. I don't care. Like I, I. <laughs> she um, has also filmed the next movie directed by Angelina Jolie. Which is called is right. Without Blood. Uh, the plot is listed as plot kept under wraps <laughs> on IMDb, which is my favorite plot on IMDb. Yep. And it's her- I will be one thousand percent singing the title of that movie to the sounds of Without Without Love, Love from, from Hairspray. From Hairspray, I'm one hundred percent. That's absolutely true <laughs> and right. Yeah, it's her and Damien Bashir, and mm-hmm. I'm very interested in that. So there we go. Okay, so I'm um, see that could be I mean we'll see where it goes, but that yeah. that's yeah. that's you know Angelina's luck with the Oscars with the stuff she's directed hasn't been wow. good. So do you think they, they bonded at Eternals? Maybe it's very possible. If they ever yeah. were in the same room as each other when they filmed yeah, exactly. their scenes. They, uh, they probably uh, are in a text group. Yeah. No, yeah. I would love it if like <laughs> 
Salma Hayek, Angelina Jolie, Barry Kogan. Um, I'm just going to pronounce his name differently every time. That's going to be my bit. Yeah. I'm going to pronounce his yeah. last name differently. Uh, um, Richard Madden. Bri- Brian Tyree uh, Henry. Um, that little girl that everybody hated. Um, Kit Harrington, was wasn't he? Kit, Kit, Kit Harrington, although he's not one of the Eternals, so I wonder Harry if they like, Styles, wasn't he? Doesn't he be- yeah, but I bet you they, I guarantee they ostracized him. Yeah. Um, Gemma Chan, right? Gemma I Chan. thought Harry Styles was just like in the credits as not Thanos. Yeah, I don't Thanos. know. Do you think he's I've in the post credits. He's in the post credit scene. He shows up uh, in the post credit scene as uh, Thanos's brother. I, I, I have not seen a Marvel. No, I, I mean I've seen some, but I, I haven't seen I a Marvel know. movie since Black Widow. Oh, Kumail Nanjiani, also Kumail in the Kumail Nanjiani, yeah. There we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Poor jacked Kumail. After watching yeah. Brian Tyree Henry and Jennifer Lawrence talk about The Real Housewives um, uh, in Toronto, I feel like <laughs> he would be a good presence in a group chat. Well, like, I feel like... Yes, and, and I will say, to take it back to Salma, uh, she does a hell of a press tour. She... Oh, yeah. Um, yep. She's one of the great ones. Yep. Uh, I, <laughs> Sitting next to Gaga, yep. talking about miser and about when 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 Gaga wrote a letter to herself to to get rid of herself. <laughs> yep. I remember when I first started this, I wrote a letter to myself, and I said, "I don't need you anymore." I said, "I need only the parts of you that are meaningful for Patricia." And it's just the zoom on Salma's face, yep. like it's so good, like with the actual. <laughs> it's so good. God, oh, uh, God, yeah. yeah. So too many more Salma press. Yes, uh, that's exactly right. Also, I, I, I literally, it's the only note that I wrote down that I haven't mentioned. Uh, I love a movie that ends with that Brian Eno song that's in every other movie uh i always think of it as from 28 days later but it's that sort of you know very you know wistful tones. quasi yes tones. tones it's just yes mm-hmm. exactly it's called an ending which like all right like all right brian we get it you're 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 opening up the uh the vault and la- waiting for all of the uh checks to roll in from all the movies that would be using this uh this piece of music yeah should we move on to the imdb game sure let's do it Joe, why don't you explain what the IMDb game is? Whatever. You're not my dad. You can't tell me what to do. No, okay. All right. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voice... If any of those titles are television or voice... Wow, I can't talk at all. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mentioned that up front, motherfucker. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles released. Here's its clue. And if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints and me getting tongue-tied for no good reason. That's it. Jorge, as our guest, you get the option of whether you want to give or guess first and who you are going to be challenging or being challenged from. Great. Um, I'll give to you, Chris. Um, I'll guess awesome. from Joe. Uh, I I'll I'll guess first. Okay, oh. so Joe, you are giving to him. All right, you will give to me, and then I will give to you. So, Jorge, mm-hmm. I have chosen an mm-hmm. actress mm-hmm. who has worked with 
Mike White, and okay. I believe Miguel Arteta, both okay. in uh, uh, various capacities. Yes, because Miguel Arteta directed a whole bunch of Enlightened episodes, and this actress was a guest star on Enlightened, uh, and additionally starred in The Year of the Dog. I'm talking about, of course, Molly Shannon, and <laughs> wow. Molly Shannon's known for has no television. Oh, no. No voice. What? <laughs> oh, no. So, um, films only. Films only. I hope this is in there. Other people? Correct. Her okay, Independent correct. Spirit uh, Award winning role in Other People. A lovely movie. Um, Good performance. Great performance. Great, great Jesse Plemons performance. Great Jesse Plemons performance. Great John Early performance. All this great Josie Toto performance. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Everybody's great in that. Everybody's great in that movie. Um, God, what else is Molly Shannon on? Uh, did anything from post SNL? Oh, uh, superstar probably. Superstar. Yeah. Okay, okay, that's okay. This is where it's getting tough. Oof. Um. Yeah, you got the two that I would have gotten. Yeah, yeah. What other Molly Shannon movies are there? Um. She's not. Oh. See. No, this is too early SNL movie. Oh, fuck. I'm gonna guess it, and I may look a fool, because this may be, for all I know, like, 80s movie, 80s SNL. Is, was she part of Coneheads, or is that way too early? She I actually, think it's just too early. Yeah, if she was, it would have been before she was on SNL. Okay, so... I mean, I'll take the, I'll take it as a guess, though. <laughs> yes, okay, so yeah, uh, no, uh, so, not yeah, Coneheads. So, so, no, 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 not Coneheads. Um, Can I read to you the cast of Coneheads for a second, though? Because it's genuinely insane. Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin, Michael McKean, David Spade, Chris Farley, Sinbad, Michael Richards, Phil Hartman, Adam Sandler, Jason Alexander, Lorraine Newman, Garrett Morris, Drew Carey, Kevin Nealon, Jan Hooks, Parker Posey, Joey Lauren Adams, Julia Sweeney, Ellen DeGeneres, uh, Jonathan Penner from Survivor. John Lovitz, uh, Tom Arnold. It's wild. Wow. It was the Joey Lauren Adams that threw me. I was what, like, what, was... Is that in the 90s, though? In 93. Like 92? Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. it's just early. Okay, I wasn't yes. too far off. Um, I, I don't, I mean, this is such a small role. Uh, she's in Marie Antoinette, isn't she? She is, yeah. but it's incorrect. It's not. All right. So okay. those are two Got strikes. That. Okay. Okay. Your missing years are sorry as I scroll up, nineteen ninety nine and two thousand six. Two thousand six is really hard, but it's a comedy franchise that has a lot of installments. It's a lot of installments. Yes. Yes. Like more than three. Yes. yes. Specifically, so spe- specifically, more, more than, than three, three for this particular for this answer. game. Yeah. Specifically, um, th- what to give you a 2006. clue? Um, it's part of a very is it like a sp- sorry, go like, ahead. A, like spoof kind of yes. genre. Exactly, exactly. Like a scary movie type of. 
Okay. Yes. yes. So, so scary movie four. Scary movie four. Yes. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Your yeah. other one. She's playing a coworker slash friend of the main character. Okay. Okay. Um, she's probably third build. So yeah, like a probably. It's like a rom com. Yes, like mm-hmm. a rom com. Okay. A fairly high I've concept rom com. A high concept rom com. Yeah. What? Year? I would be surprised if you haven't seen this. She's fourth build. Oh, uh, uh, never been kissed. Never been kissed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 She. She's good in that. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Fun. Movie. She works at the newspaper, right? With. with... Yeah. She's. Yeah, yeah. I think she's not the editor, but like maybe a coworker. Wait. Did know. we all see the Drew Barrymore Justin Long interview from last week on her talk show? You sent it to me. You? It was so moving. Like it was genuinely. Great. Guys, sorry. Someone is ringing my bell. Give me two seconds. Oh, okay. Be yeah. safe. Right. Yeah, we'll pause yeah. it. This is the beginning of a horror movie, Chris. Oh, no. This is... this is What's the one... We're about to be unfriended. I was going to say, this is unfriended. No. If somebody goes, like, skittering along the ceiling of Jorge's uh, room, I'm out of here. <laughs> We're going to be like, what's that? Like looking in the corner of his room and all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're going to hear a thud. It's going to be scary. Anyway, did you watch that interview? I did. Were you not there as moved no as there. I was? That was scary. <laughs> I love their relationship. I don't know. They have like, they stayed friends. Uh, as with all things, justice for private life. Not being in Molly Shannon's. Yeah. Oh, or... yeah. She just wants uh, a Bialy from Russ and Daughter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's my turn. All right. Yes. Yes. Who do you have for me? Um. Okay, Chris. I I went a bunch of routes. Would Would you like the easy choice or the harder choice? We can go with the harder choice. Okay. Uh, Godspeed to you with the. Um. No, it's. I think it'll be fine. Uh, so I also went the enlightened route. Um, a lot of the uh, guest uh, stars in that show, uh, and I went with uh, someone I uh, really love. Uh, one uh, Miss Michaela Watkins. Michaela Watkins. Ooh. Okay. Um, no television. I don't think. I don't think SNL is going to be on. Yeah, there, there. there's no TV. No TV. Mm-hmm. Okay, shit. This is going to be really hard. Um, I may punk out and yeah, go with the fine. easy yeah, option. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, uh-huh. Do you want to go with the easy option? I want to go with the easy option. Okay. I love Michaela Watkins, yeah. but everything I can think of is TV. Yeah. Uh, because there's also casual... Yeah. Wait, can I try yeah. Michaela Watkins when he's done with whatever this is? Yeah, you can try. With, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. I won't okay. get it, but I want to see if I can get, like, a couple of them. Um... Then this, I'm pr- you probably have done it before, but I know you've also restarted your IMDb game. Um, we mentioned her as uh, the delightful surprise cameo in Like a Boss, so I'll give you uh, Lisa Kudrow. Oh, fantastic. And there's uh, two television there. <laughs> friends. Uh-huh. And, oh shit, um, uh, uh, the comeback. Of course, yes, iconic. Um, Romy and Michelle. Yes. And I think you may get a perfect score here. 
Uh, the opposite of sex. Yeah, you got a perfect score. Nice. Perfect score. <laughs> uh, uh, we'll we'll accept it as not a perfect score since I punked out. But um, got us, Joe. My own, sorry, I was going to say, say my... what Michaela Watkins movies you know. Oh yeah. Oh, I mostly just want to know if In a World isn't her uh, known for. Sure is. All right, that's the only one yeah. that I really had. Okay. <laughs> okay. I will. I mean, I'll say the four. Uh, I don't know if you would have gotten them, but it's. Uh, in a world, um, wanderlust. Oh sure. Um, uh, thanks for sharing. Which uh, one is thanks for sharing? It's... That's the sex addict movie, right? Yeah. Oh, the Mark Ruffalo Pink yes. sex starring addict movie. Pink. Yes. No, starring Alicia Moore. How dare you? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah, so she is billed as Alicia Moore. She is. is yeah, she's billed as Alicia Moore. Uh, and the uh, off super memorable uh, J Lo rom com, The Backup Plan. Oh, the Nadir. The Nadir yeah. of J-Lo's uh, rom-com yeah. career. The yeah. backup plan. Uh, I was going to say my other, because I had two paths to Lisa Kudrow. One was like a boss. And I was trying to figure out if any other celebrities had ever done Amazing Race. Um, and no, but Sharla from Amazing Race appeared in an episode of The Comeback. Yes. So, um, she did. Anyway, that's uh, the deranged path I took. Anyway. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Joseph, for you, I actually went into the White Lotus cast list, and I chose everyone's favorite boyfriend until the White Lotus, <laughs> uh, Jake Lacey. All right. Any television? No television. Okay. So no White Lotus, no girls. Um, uh, oh, what is it called? Wait. Obvious Child. Yes, Obvious Child. Miss Sloan. Miss Sloan. Yeah. He plays a sex worker in that and is hot. A sex worker named Ford at that. Yes, that's right. All right. Here's where it gets difficult. Mr. Jake Lacey. Huh. All right. All right. Now all I can think of is television that he's on. Okay. Well, it's got to be recent stuff. Because I didn't really see him in anything before Obvious Child. Um, well, shit. I might just need to, like, burn off some answers and see. <sighs> oh, oh, no. Uh, The Favorite. He is not in the favorite. Who am I thinking? Oh, I'm thinking of Nicholas Holt. How dare I? How dare you? Nicholas wow. Holt is so good in that movie. <laughs> He's so good in that movie. No, literally, I literally juxtaposed Jake Lacey's face on top of Nicholas Holt's. Yeah. Um, I would like to juxtapose their face. <laughs> 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 um... All right, well, we're going to count that as one of my strikes, though, because I need a strike. All right, then we'll do that. Your years are 2015 and 2018. Wait, what was your first wrong guess? I didn't have one, but I needed these years anyway, so I'm not oh, going to okay. complain. Great. That's um, okay. <laughs> 2015. Comedy? No. Very much not. It sounds like, okay, so very much not a comedy. So a heavy... Not heavy, not it's heavy. just it's not a comedy. It's just not a comedy. There is shit that I do laugh at in this movie. Okay. Because there is some funny stuff. So, like, action? No. 
It's a drama. Yeah, okay. It was a drama. It's a gay drama. Oh. What was a gay drama in 2015? They let people make gay dramas in 2015? That's crazy. It's it's a gay. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> what is the... Oh, God. Okay. Once you get it, you'll know what it means. Yes. <laughs> is it... The gays. It's not. It's gay drama. <laughs> That's the gays. Yeah, it's the gays. Gary's um, know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're doing a hand motion. I know, we're doing the, the gay hand thing. Um, Guy Branham is, does a I phenomenal a gay hand well. motion in Bros. It is like yeah. the platonic ideal of the gay I will say, Joe, MVP that... of Bros, Guy Branham. 100%. Yeah. 100% true. The hand motion is a hint. Is a hint? Yeah. There's a whole meme about it. I think you, if you get it through 2015, super gay movie. Also, he is famously everyone's boyfriend in movies. Wait. So it's a drama. It's super gay. It's Stonewall. It's not Stonewall. What is wrong with you? I don't know. Um, It is not... Gay as in male gay. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's also not contemporary. I, I'm just hearing like clarinets and oboes yeah. in my mm-hmm. head. <laughs> okay. The director of this movie also directed a bunch of Enlightened episodes. Oh. True. Maybe okay. just one, but like it's a really good episode. Okay. Wait, so period lesbian movie. Jake looks. 2015. 20 fi- Why do you keep saying it like <laughs> Joe's that? Joe's going to be so oh, pissed. Oh, when he gets oh, it. oh, oh, oh. I forgot that he's in this movie. He's in Carol. Yes. Okay. As Rooney Mara's boyfriend. That's right. I totally you, forgot he was in that movie. Yes. You do have to insert. Wait, the, why is the hand the motion a clue? For That's Carol? the Kate Blanchett thing it's where Kate someone's Blanchett. asking her about her gaze and she's like, oh, the gaze. I thought she meant the gaze. Oh, I don't yeah. recall that at all. Oh, oh I got to find oh, that. Please insert we'll that audio. Okay. Uh, you know, you have such a, a, a gaze, a signature. The crew is cracking up here. I have a whole lot of gaze. The signature Disney villain gaze. I want to know, how, how do you do that Disney villain gaze? Teach, teach oh, us. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought Disney villain gaze. <laughs> As in <laughs> the, day, the gay Disney villains. Sorry, this is <laughs> an accent dysfunction. Oh, you mean the gaze, not the gaze. <laughs> It's in the Cinderella. It's in the Cinderella press tour. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the gay. All right, all right, all right, all right. No, you're right. I've, I've duly shamed. You myself. still have one movie left to go for Jake Lacey, and it's 2018. Is this a comedy? Um, maybe. Remember the conversation that you and I believe Katie and I were having recently about there's a whole filmography that I have like just not seen, just like seen the Fast and the Furious it. movies. Yes, but go deeper. The Rock movies. Correct. I have only seen The Mummies and Get Smart of right. The Rock. So it's a movie with Dwayne Johnson in 2018. Yes. Is it? Yeah. He's not in the Jumanji movie. No, but this is not not a Jumanji movie by the looks of it. Okay. Oh, oh, wait. I've Is it San Andreas? No. Damn it. Um, saw that movie in the theater for nothing. Okay. Um, 
All right, what was The Rock doing in 2018? This was pre-Hobbs and Shaw, right? It was. Um, you said it's not unlike Jumanji, so like jungle setting, some sort of... I don't know if there's a jungle setting. There might but be jungle There's jungle elements, elements. yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, it's based on a video game. Right, I know what you're talking about. I, I, uh, is it Rampage? Yes. Rampage. Yeah, anybody could be in that movie. I wouldn't <laughs> yep. know. It's Schrodinger's blockbuster. Um, wow. Yeah, Carol's gonna. I, I'm gonna feel shame for Carol. Yeah, that's too bad. All right. Well, it will lead you to the discovery of Kate Blanchett. Speaking of engaged, feeling but... shame, yes. all of us totally, <clears throat> excuse me, breezed by the fact that Salma Hayek was nominated for an AARP Movies for Grownups Award. She was. For this movie. She was beat by Annette Benning for Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. Now, listen, you know I love Annette Benning. <laughs> this isn't a terrible movie, but like, and I kind of get why AARP M4G's voters would have like flocked to this, right? Because it's like, it's about an old Hollywood star and she finds love with like hot young Jamie Bell and who wouldn't want to do that for a living and like all of that. And yet it's a weird, the fact that it beat out Francis McDormand in three billboards the year that yeah, she won the ask. Oscar, yep. mm-hmm. Meryl in the post, which feels like a real fastball down the middle for the M4G. Yeah, if anyone let's, is going to go, let's, let's, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's go. We'll publish. We'll, we'll post. Let's, 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 let's go. What de-glamming actresses is for the Oscars, big billowy gold caftans should be for the I, M4Gs. I, I was going to say, if anyone's going to go for a caftan acting, should be them. And short Well, then that, they should have nominated uh, Amy Landecker for supporting actors. Yeah, well, they did give an award to Christine Brahansky and Mamma Mia, uh, iconic captain acting. So, you know, Very they, do have, captain they acting. do have precedent. So. And the fifth nominee that year is like the patron saint of the Emphrages, uh, Judy Dench. Judy Dench. In Victorian Abdul, a performance that really did come closer than you would think to getting an Oscar nomination. Yeah. Like, probably definitely sixth place. Probably. Yeah, you're not wrong. Probably. Okay, got yeah. that in there. All right, now we can uh, wrap it up. <laughs> All right, that, I believe, is our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. Please also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Jorge, thank you so much for thank coming Thank you for back. having me. Thank you for uh, inviting me for dinner, uh, for um, making the vegetarian plate for me, which is just... <laughs> Uh, veggies and rice put together uh, <laughs> haphazardly. Uh, but no, thank you. I'm always delighted to come. And tell our listeners uh, where they can find more of you. Yes, of course. Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at CallerMeJorge. Uh, you can also uh, listen to so- and watch some of my projects. Uh, I, for Your listeners will probably like my award season murder mystery podcast, uh, Just to be Nominated. Uh, which is all out on every platform you listen to your podcasts. Uh, you can also watch my short film, uh, Muy Gay to Mexicano, on HBO Max. If you um, uh, have HBO Max, uh, it's there. Uh, please celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month by watching it and giving us streams. Uh, yeah, other than that, I'll be uh, hanging by the pool with a glass of white wine.
And Joe, tell the listeners where they can find more of you. Uh, well, first of all, uh, Harge, we're not these people, and it's what I want everybody we're not ugly people. to know that I am not an ugly person who forgets Carol. I just forgot that Jake Lacey was in Carol. Um, and you can find me to yell at me about that on Twitter and on Letterboxd, both at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. And I am on Twitter and Letterbox at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Medias for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So stop writing bad titles for your shitty memoir and leave us a nice review. That's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Oh,